I love our series, Unexpected, and we continue, even this morning, to see Jesus show up in unexpected places, and even beyond that, to do some unexpected things. But to to prepare you for uh, our message today, I want you to watch this video clip. Many of you know the the Christian comedian Michael Jr., but this is a a great illustration that will sort of form the basis of what we're going to talk about today. So pay close attention to this. Well, when the guy found out his why, it changes the what. Amen? And guys, when, when you know your why, everything begins to change. In fact, here's our first point this morning. The why must come before the what. So often, guys, we get involved in what we're doing at work and what we're doing at church and what we're doing in our community. And that's all cool. You want to do the what? But it becomes routine and mundane and meaningless when you forget the why. In fact, uh, organizational studies say that most organizations start with a high why. We know why we're here. And, and follow right along their first few years is the why and the what match. And the why is always talked about. But most organizations at some point stop talking about the why and the what they're doing goes up. Now, when that divergence happens... There are three things that happen to any organization. Number one, stress goes up and passion goes down. Number two is people begin to say, you know, it's just not like it used to be. Landmark doesn't feel like it used to 20 years ago. Life's just not quite the same. And number three, you start focusing on your competition and less on what you are doing. But if you get the why right, everything else follows. If you know your why this morning, that you were teaching Sunday school last hour, it changes the way you taught Sunday school. If you know your why, why you're collecting communion cups after this service, it'll bring joy to even that. You see, when you know your why, everything changes. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a powerful example of a why, and that's simply a meal at a table. Now, that sounds so ordinary, so mundane, so utilitarian. I mean, of course, we meet around the table, we get food, we get sustenance, we get what we need to go on. But biblically, guys, the table is such a rich place. But if all you see is the reason we're meeting for our family meal or the reason we're meeting for our church meal is just to feed ourselves, then then you miss the point. If you see the reason behind it, the why... It changes the whole deal. In fact, let's, let's put it this way. What was Jesus' why and what was his what, okay? Jesus' why could be summed up in Luke 19.10. The Son of God came to seek and save the lost. Now, we've seen it stated a number of different times in the first few chapters of Luke. But that's probably the most succinct. Why was Jesus here? Why are we here as his body to seek and save the lost? That's the why. But the what might really surprise you. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The why tells us Jesus' mission. The what tells us his mission strategy. You say, hold on, buddy. Come on. Are you telling me the mission strategy of Jesus was to eat meals with people? Yep. How do you know that, buddy? I'm reading the Gospel of Luke. There's, a, there's over nine meal stories in the Gospel of Luke. 
And as one writer writes in the book, A Meal with Jesus says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Life sort of centers around a meal. As Southerners, we understand this because traditionally, meals have been very important to us. And I hope you might, some of us may have to go back to our childhood to remember when it was that important a deal. I know growing up in my house, my mom, that was her strength was the, the family meal. In fact, in her memorial service here just a couple years ago, me and my brothers talked more about her cooking and the meal, not because it was her cooking, even though it was amazing. It was the atmosphere she created around the table that made us family. It's what broke down barriers. It's what initiated conversation. And so Jesus' mission strategy was to go out and spend time with people around a table. So let's look at three of those stories this morning. We're starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And and just, just read along with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now, let's, let's stop there just for a moment. Uh, you all know a tax collector is not a good thing, but I don't think we really get how big a deal it is. A, a tax collector was a very, very bad person. They were, they were actually your enemy. Because Rome has taken over, they're collecting taxes for Rome, they're collecting too much taxes, they're pocketing the rest, they're ripping you off, they're extortionist. It, it, it's as if our world turned upside down and ISIS, the brutal group, took over America. The Romans were brutal. And one of us volunteered to take taxes up to send back to them. And not only did we take taxes up, but we extorted people for money. That's our guy here. And that's what's so shocking that Jesus is going to eat with him. Look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. It's a bad crowd. But the Pharisees and teachers of law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Made no sense. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, according to them, for Jesus to do this, these were unclean people. It would make Jesus an unclean person. That's why they were baffled by anyone that would say he was a prophet, more or less the Son of God. And I love Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These self-righteous Pharisees, could not be helped by Jesus because they didn't think they needed a doctor. The cool things is Matthew was so messed up and broken, he knew he needed Jesus. Nathan Capp shared something with me this week that I thought was really cool I'd never heard before. But if you read the Gospels, not only is Matthew called Matthew, but like in our reading here, he's called what? Levi. Can you say that? Levi. Y'all, y'all here with me today? Y'all sleeping in the dark. What do you call it? Levi. Okay. So here's the deal. Levi would be his Jewish name. Matthew would be a Greek name. Here's the point. This man was so bad, a dude, that he didn't even want to go by his Jewish name because no Jewish person would have liked him. He has been rejected. 
And now he's going by another name. Which is sort of fascinating about this is obviously when Matthew writes his gospel, he's a Jew, he calls himself Matthew, uses the Greek name. When Luke writes his gospel and he's a Gentile, he uses the Gentile, the Jewish name Levi. What it's all saying is this guy is a bad, bad person. He is the enemy. Now, please understand this. Mills were highly significant in first century life. You did not eat meals with the enemy. To eat meals with someone meant you embraced them. That's why everybody's so offended. Now, we still have an inkling of that in our country. Just the other day, our Secretary of State, Pompeo, ate a meal with the second most powerful person from North Korea in New York, a guy that's known as a mass murderer, and here were the headlines in the paper. Pompeo serves up steak to savage North Korean leader. Even we were offended that he would sit down and share a meal because a meal says something. Now, what does it say? Around the table, we communicate grace. That's what happens. And that's what Jesus is doing. You see, they're they're thinking that that Jesus is going to become unclean by being with this group of tax collectors. Jesus reverses the idea of cleanliness. He doesn't become unclean. He makes the tax collectors clean. It's giving people grace, what they need, not what they deserve. And Matthew received this. And if you keep reading the story, you know that Matthew will be completely changed. I mean, he is the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. What happens is he's, he's experienced the grace. What, what, what's the result there? The acceptance of Jesus. You ever re- received acceptance from somebody maybe you didn't deserve it from? Or maybe you had a falling out with somebody and they invited you over for a meal and you went, oh, that's, I mean, we hadn't, you know, Uncle so-and-so, we've not ate in years and now he wants me to come over? It still communicates something. I'm trying to, I'm inviting you to lunch. It's, it's, it's to build a bridge where there might not be one. It communicates something. Now, you may have heard me share this story before. Many of you work at Faulkner University. And so you remember an older lady who worked there for years, Elizabeth Smith. Some of you might have known her as Elizabeth Wright, but she's one of the greatest characters I've ever known. I'm just, everywhere she went, she'd stir things up. Well, when I moved here years ago, me and Elizabeth became friends. And uh, we'd go out to eat every once in a while, and she could tell the funniest stories. And every friend day, I'd call her, invite her to come to Landmark, and she'd come, and she'd tell me how much she loved coming to Landmark. And so, you know, we just had a good relationship through the years. About a month before she passed away, she called me and said, Buddy, I'd like us to go to lunch. And I knew she was close to death, and so I certainly wasn't going to turn her down. So I said, Elizabeth, I'll come pick you up. She said, I want to go on Wednesday. So I said, I'll come pick you up this Wednesday. So I, I went by her apartment. I picked her up. We got in the car. And I'm saying, well, where do you want to go eat? She said, buddy, we're going to J.L. Perry Cafeteria. There's a meeting going on there, and I want you to go with me to that meeting. Well, here's the problem. I know about this meeting. It's a group of people meeting there that don't really like me. I don't know what their problem was, but they didn't really like me, and I wasn't too keen about being around them. And Elizabeth said, buddy, if you knew her, you don't argue. You don't have a choice. You're going to this meal with me. So 
We walk in, everybody's looking like, what is this dude doing here? She takes me around to every table and introduces me. She's hugging all on me. They start praying. She's holding my hand. I mean, I'm just like uncomfortable. What's going on? And not till we're walking out the door does it dawn on me. This precious woman wanted these guys to know before she died that she accepted me. And that's what she did. And that's what happens in a meal in Jesus' day and even today. Jesus wanted these Pharisees to know that he had come to love even the worst of people. In fact, one writer says this, Jesus got himself killed because he ate with the wrong people. He's willing to do that. Now let's go to another meal, meal number two. It's in Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 7. And let me give you the scene here before we get in the text. Jesus has now been invited not to a tax collector's house, but quite the opposite. He's been invited to one of these uptight Pharisees' house. And they're checking him out. And Jesus, Jesus accepts all invitations, and so he goes. So they're having this meal. The Bible says they're laying around the table. Understand this. A table in Jesus' day laid on the ground. It was just like a plank of wood. And what you do is you'd lay on your left elbow, and you'd eat with your right hand. And so they're just laying around eating this meal And then the most shocking thing happens. A woman, the Bible says, the town center, you know what that implies, she's a prostitute. A prostitute breaks in this Pharisee's house and comes to the dining room. She knows about Jesus. She knows what we've already said. Jesus was full of grace, and she's overwhelmed that she might have a chance. So she goes to Jesus. She bows down. She's got some perfume she busts open. She pours them over Jesus' feet. She begins to weep uncontrollably, and then she begins to dry his feet. She takes her hair down, which was unheard of. Not trying to make you uncomfortable, but this scene needs to make you uncomfortable. One writer I was reading this week said that for a woman to take her hair down in public would be equal today to going topless. It was just almost unheard of for a woman to do that in public. And she begins to dry Jesus' hair with the feet. Now, you can imagine this Pharisee's thinking, this dude is going to stop this right now. He's got to know better than this. But Jesus did know better. Look at verse 39, Luke chapter 7, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus, you've got a clue about spirituality. You know this is wrong. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. You've got to love Jesus the way he does this. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed him a 500 denarii, that's like 500 days wages, and the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, Simon, which of these will love him more? Well, Simon's smart enough to answer this. Simon replied, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. The more you're forgiven, the more love you're probably going to have. The person who's probably forgiven you the most in your life, probably the person closest to you is the person you love the most. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now watch this. This is so cool. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, he's looking at the woman, he's talking to Simon. 
do you see this woman, he asked. That, that is the funniest question in all the Bible. You think this guy's seen this woman? You think he might have noticed? Oh, that, that's all he's seen. This woman's completely destroyed his dinner party. But Jesus is not saying, do you physically see this woman? Jesus is asking this man, do you see her as a person or a thing? Do you see this woman? And then Jesus says this, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. That's you, Simon. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, what does this meal communicate? Around the table, we create community. It communicates grace, but it creates community. Now, what happens in this meal What Jesus is saying is to Simon, he's saying, Simon, you are not a good host. You didn't welcome me with a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head. You are the host that was not a host. This woman, she um, welcomed me with many kisses. She washed my feet. She perfumed me. This woman who doesn't deserve to even be a guest has been the host. In in the story of Matthew, we see that Jesus welcomed the sinner. In this story, we see the sinner welcoming and accepting Jesus. So we see around the table, community is created. What Jesus is saying to Simon the Pharisee, "I'm, I'm at your house, but she's been my host. You see, when sinners found out how good Jesus was to sinners, not only did Jesus welcome sinners, they welcomed him. And the result is inclusion. Now, let me say this to you guys. The table is the number one place that we let people know they're included. I've done a survey of every church I've ever worked for. Here was the question. When did you finally feel a part of this church? When did this church finally feel like family to you? When I got taken out of church. All right. (laughs) Sorry about that. Number one. Amen. Number one answer. Number one answer was when I was invited to someone's house for a meal. Now, that's a shame, guys, because we don't do much of that anymore. But it's that point that gives people inclusion. Because it's around a table If you do it right, you slow down. I mean, if it's just utilitarian, let me get in and get my sustenance and get out, then it's worthless. But if it's a place where in this crazy life we live, that's why it's so important you do this with your family. 33% of Americans, 33% less Americans eat family meals today than a decade ago. And, And I'm just going to tell you, you're destroying your family. Because it's around a table that you slow down, that you converse, that you accept one another, that you welcome one another, that you love one another, that you share. And that's why table has always been so important in Jesus' ministry. 
we get over to the, the sequel, the gospel, I mean, the, the book of Acts, and what is the church doing? They're meeting every day in homes and eating together. And when we want someone to be a leader, one of the biggest things the elder must do is be given to hospitality. It's that big a deal because it communicates inclusion. And guys, that's what's so important about what we're about to do right now is what we call the Lord's Table. Now, some of us can remember years ago when there was actually a table on every church stage. Anybody remember that? That was actually called the Lord's Table. And some of us even got mad when it was taken out. Anybody want to confess to that? And I sort of miss it, to be frank, because I think it sort of communicates something. But honestly, though it might have tried to communicate something, it really sort of misrepresented what we did. Because we didn't meet around a table. And we didn't talk. And we we didn't associate with each other, include each other. It was, okay, we got this table up here, but let's serve communion. Everybody go to your little bubble and have communion. So today, we're going to do what we do every Sunday in this service. We did in first service, too. It was a beautiful thing. We're going to go to tables. But instead of the praise team coming up here and singing, because all of us will just start singing with them and not interact, we're just going to play some music in the background. And, and here's what I want to invite you to do. And I know some of us, this will be a little uncomfortable. But let me just tell you, I think what we're about to do is more biblical than what we normally do. Don't get in a hurry. Don't just jump up, get it, and go back to your seat. Visit. If there's somebody you need to pray with, pray with them. Somebody you need to encourage. Maybe someone across the worship center. that You just want to say, man, I appreciate you. If there's someone that you don't know and, and you want to meet them and welcome them to the family table, just, just walk and visit and pray and remember Jesus together, but also remember the body of Christ that he's placed us in. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to sing a wonderful song to set the stage called Come to the Table. And after that song's over, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to have a few minutes just to visit and pray and interact. And then when, when that time's up, I'll, I'll come up and I'll, I'll probably interrupt you while you're still talking and we'll conclude this service together. But um, I invite you this morning to come to the table. It's a place where you should, you say, well, buddy, I'm a sinner. This is the place where you experience grace. You say, I feel lonely today. This ought to be the place you experience community. So let's do that together.